0: Hello and welcome to episode number 6 of European UFOs. I'm your host Sebastian and if you like this episode then please make sure to subscribe and leave a review, it really helps. The occurrence of complex geometric patterns imprinted onto the crops of agricultural land has, in many countries, become as certain as the seasonal harvest of the crops themselves. Global in scale, one of the many countries where this phenomenon manifests itself is the Netherlands. Here, as elsewhere, some crop circle formations exhibit a range of highly anomalous features that cannot be easily explained in terms of human hoaxes or known natural causes. Ranging from biophysical anomalies to complex and hidden mathematics, these formations have properties that have caught the attention of PhD scientists such as Elcho Hasselhoff. His decades of serious scientific research lead to one unambiguous conclusion. Something very strange is going on.
1: Hi, LJ. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Good morning, Sebastian, and thank you very much. I'm very happy to hear to be here, and I'm um, I'm doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Well, um, perhaps a uh, candid
0: admission on on my part from from the outset. Um, crop circle research about which we're going to talk today has never really been on my radar. And I think um, part of the reason for that is that I grew up in um, the late 80s and mid 90s in Ireland and the UK. And um, I just remember as a kid and teenager um, being you know inundated by (laughs) documentaries about crop circles which were always along the lines of oh you know there are some drunk farmers going into the field with a board and um you know a rope and creating these intricate patterns and i think that impression unfortunately lasted with me for a very long time which is why i'm very happy to have you here today and um and also your book um, on crop circles has really helped me understand the actually the complexity of this phenomenon. And um, yep, but so this just as a kind of um, proviso from for me from the outset. Um, but before we get into the deepening complexity of, of crop circles, um, could you give us an overview of um, who you are and how you got into crop circle research because you're a man of many talents so it's quite interesting to hear a bit about your background
1: um, well yes I got into crop circles before you were born if I understand it correctly uh, and it happens because um, a colleague of mine he was from Scotland's and he was probably one of the smartest persons I've ever met. One of these people that know everything and that never forget anything. They they learn, and and he was kind of my mentor in those days and trying to teach me physics. And um, he actually mentioned that he saw a documentary on crop circles. He was the first one to introduce me to the to the to the phenomenon, and it was the craziest craziest story I'd ever heard, of course, because it was like the circular imprints and bent but not broken and all those kinds of things. And if anyone else would have told me this story, I probably would have laughed and not paid any attention to it. But because it was him and he was the smartest person I knew, I figured, well, if there would be a trivial explanation, he would have come up with it right away. But he didn't. He was sort of puzzled. And he said to me, you should have seen this documentary. You would have been impressed. And that sentence um, said by him, by the smartest person I knew, sort of triggered me and, and got me interested into the phenomenon. And then, luckily enough, within a year or so, we had a crop circle appear in the Netherlands, where I where where, where I live. And uh, so I decided to go there and pay a visit. And. Yes, that was actually when I first noticed some very strange and peculiar things about that flattened area of crop, uh, which also this, this colleague of mine had told me. And for example, the, in this particular case, it was uh, the fact that it was a huge area of flattened crop, perfectly flattened, by the way, like, like a carpet, um, which is something I could not reproduce myself. If, if I tried to flatten it, it would always sort of jump back and become kind of messy. Um, but at the same time, the, the soil underneath the flattened crop was perfectly untouched. There was a little crumbs of earth that were underneath. And uh, if I walked over this, this flattened crop, I would crunch them. I would flatten them. And, and so it was clear to see that nobody had walked on top of this flattened crop. I mean, and that puzzled me very much. And that's, that sort of kept me... Um, well, kept my made me keep my my interest and made me go to the second crop circle that appeared a couple of weeks later and well that's how it started and And, yeah it continued to go like that i always found these strange things i couldn't explain and that's what that keeps you going
0: and you have a background in physics right so for 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 you it was even more interesting if you can't reproduce anything in the natural world i suppose so that
1: yeah it's all about i think physicists are pretty much about understanding things and if you don't then something, it drives them crazy um, and, then, and they keep on going. And that has happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And um, so for our
0: general audience who are not familiar with crop circles or perhaps have this impression that they are just, you know, made by students or farmers somewhere in the fields of Wiltshire, um, could you perhaps from a scientific perspective, give an overview of what you are looking for if you go into a newly formed formation. Is there like a checklist or is it more intuitive? What defines a crop circle?
1: Well, first of all, obviously there are drunken farmers or students and particularly artists, crop circle artists that, that make these patterns. And we all know that. And I've, I've I've, talked to this person personally. I know them. Even I made crop circles myself. So yes, that, that happens. And um, there are some studies out there that try to make an estimate of the percentage. I remember Colin Andrews a while ago said something like 80% would be man-made, and the others were then of unknown origin. Others say it's the other way around. Uh, I don't think it really matters very much. The fact is, yes, there are artists there. there are more artists than, than drunk farmers, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 these people that create crop circles take the job very seriously, and they can actually be quite good at it. Um, and they see it as almost like a spiritual mission sometimes. you know it's, it's much more than just a joke to them that is important. Okay. You know? um, but, have you um, can I just
0: ask you about this because I think that's, that's that's really interesting. So from what I've gathered, you've had some touch points with it with these individuals. So is it? I mean do they do it? If we were to generalise, do they do that uh, because they are because they feel it's spiritually important just for themselves, or do they do it to kind of proselytise or gain um, you know followers? Do they do it with a public awareness? I'm just trying to understand the motives of doing these you know rather big landscape arty things in you know in fields. It's kind of they're peculiar to me. Why would why someone would do that?
1: Yeah, it it varies. I mean, this started a long time ago. It started, in, I think, even in the '80s uh, already. So that's long before Instagram and Facebook and all, all the other social platforms that people would sort of try to to um, to use today. Um, it, it varies really. I, I mean, I, the persons I talked to, some of the some of them were almost like like a personal mission or personal interest, or actually seeing how people would react. Um, some do it for the money, you know. Uh, sometimes for uh, publicity or commercials, they create these, these landscape arts. Uh, some say that the farmers pay them so that they can uh, have visitors pay an entrance fee in their in their in their, in their, in, their, in, their, in, their, in their, their crop circles on their land. Um, I don't know if that's true, but it's. I mean, it's not would it would be a strange thing. I mean, it would make sense. So the reasons are, are quite different. I think the most important, I, I never really went into that very deeply. The thing that, that, that uh, interested me was that the crop circle makers who are often presented to the general audience as people that only want to fool others uh, often have many other, other reasons. It, it, it's not really about fooling others or having, making a joke. It's, it, they have a deeper meaning and it, it depends on the person. So it depends on, on you know, um, it's, it's more than just a joke to them. They take it very seriously. But do you think? Is I think the most important thing is that yes, we know there are these man-made crop circles. However, the thing that keeps me busy is that I've seen too many times formations that um, are just too strange to be to be true. Um, and. In general, it, it's, the, it's the, more, the more simple crop circles. If there's a beautiful pattern of a flower or something, some mandala-like shape, I'm less interested than when there's an ordinary circle in a potato field, for example. Um, for This is just one example. I remember one day I was called by a farmer who was uh, very, very um, uh, anxious, really, and said, please come to me, come to my house, come to my, my land, because... Last night, I saw a flying saucer above my house. And when somebody calls you on a Sunday morning and, and tells you that story, then it's hard what not to hang up. You get out of bed with a cup of coffee. But in this case, I said, okay. well." And then I said, there's a circle in my potato field. And I figured, okay, that's a circle in a potato field. That is it's not the usual wheat. or said, okay. So I went there. And this guy was very, very scared. He he didn't dare to go into that field. He he pointed me it's in that direction, and I'm not going there because, you know, I don't know what happened. And and So I went there in that potato field, and indeed there was a large circle. Uh, The diameter was about, I think, 10 meters at least, so pretty big, where all the potato plants had fallen over. They were not really flattened, but they were fallen over in a spiral. So there was a spiraling um, pattern inside this perfectly round circle. And that is strange enough by itself. And what was even stranger was that the soil was very soft. So I could see my own footprints very clearly where I'd walked. And there was not a single footprint in that that circle. I mean, potato plants plants are planted pretty far apart. So you could very well see the soil in between. There was not a single footprint. And everywhere I walked, I left an imprint of about an inch. So... um, that was very strange. Whoever did that, if it were a drunk farmer, didn't walk in that field. He was hanging upside down from a hot air balloon or whatever, I don't know, but it was not, he didn't walk there with boards and, 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 and ropes. And the second thing that was extremely strange was that I studied those little plants and it turned out the reason they had fallen over was because all the stems were dehydrated over a very limited section of the summit, so about a few inches from the soil there was a little piece in the stems that was completely dehydrated and the rest of the plant was was untouched and in the dehydrated part that had fallen over that sort of bent and fell over in a perfect spiral and if you look at that then it's you know it puzzles you how, how did they do this i mean the only the only thing i could think of was that in order to recreate that if i would have to recreate that i would have to make a bridge um, from one side of the field to the other, so that they sort of reach that area without walking there. I would have to hang upside down with a soldering iron or something and touch all those plants one by one to dehydrate them, to, to burn them, to, to, to not even burn them, but carefully, so only dehydrate them, then bend them over and, and sort of arrange them in a spiraling pattern over a diameter of 10, 10 meters circle. That's ridiculous. I mean, who who would ever do such a thing? And how do you do that in one night? I mean, that, that was not how it was done. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I could think of. So, yes, this keeps you awake at night. You know, if you've seen this once, it, it keeps you awake at night and you think, how on earth did they do this? How did this happen? And until today, I don't know the answer.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, as a scientist or a scientist, we do love a good puzzles. <laughs> That's always good if you have something to keep you busy and to intrigue you. Um, you earlier you mentioned that you're more interested in the... Um, relatively simple,
1: circular designs. Why is that? As um, For two reasons. First one is that they are simpler. So it's um, as long as there are so many answers, they cannot give uh, it's sort of modesty. Let's, let's start with the simple things. Um, uh, second reason is that it, in my experience, um, these simple formations often reveal more of these weird phenomena. If you have the big, beautiful patterns, it's more likely they were created by an artist. Not always, by the way, but it's sort of a, um, a filter to make sure you don't drive up there for nothing. And particularly when there are many formations, you know, it's, it's impossible to visit them all, and you have to make kind of a pre-selection. So the, the modest ones that nobody would go to are often the ones that are more interesting. Also because if it's a real nice one, everybody goes there and they they walk around there and they trample and ruin the entire thing before I come. So um, that's another reason to, to keep it to the simpler ones. And there's enough to see in these simple formations already. Yeah. And um, I think if we continue
0: the um, checklist of what is indicative of, you know, a non man made crop circle, if, if we want to call it like that, although I guess you can never really, um, in the realm of possibilities, rule out that, you know. Perhaps there is yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um but anyway, so um in, in reading your book Um Um the Deepening and Complexity of Crop Circles, one thing I found really fascinating, well that's also a bit beyond my non-mathematical mind, is the kind of hidden mathematics in in crop circles. And obviously with your with your background in physics, you were able to dissect that. So is that another feature, you would say, of these um, anomalous
1: crop circles, which we can't really explain in, in human terms? Um, well, not necessarily, but it is an extremely interesting aspect. And, of course, that relates to the to the non-simple crop circles, because if you have one circle, there's not much you can say about it that we didn't know already. But um, it turns out that when there are patterns of multiple circles or, or more complex uh, shapes that quite often there are, like you say, these, these um, interesting mathematical, these consistent mathematical relationships between the dimensions of the individual parts of that formation. For example, the ratio of the diameters of the circles or the position of the circles or other, other shapes. Um, and um, in fact, quite early in, in the 70s, um, they discovered that there were these sort of consistent uh, almost like guidelines uh, on on the uh, distribution of circles and the mutual proportions of the circles is something that just came back all the time. I remember it was a book by Colin Andrews. So and actually, the analysis was done after the circles had been made. So it's not like somebody could have uh, read the book and then sort of try and make these the next circles according to this consistency. It had already happened. And it has to do with the the, 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 the mutual proportions between the, the diameters particularly and also the position of the circles with respect to each other. And the thing is that it's not something you can see if you just look at it. You have to perform the measurements and you have to know which ratios you are you're, you're looking for. And one of the ratios that came back very often, for example, were the same ratios at the frequencies on the musical scale. Like Dora, Mi, Fasol, and then you have certain frequencies and they have certain proportions, certain ratios, and the same ratios were found back in the proportions of the circles, which is interesting. And, you, and then you wonder, why would somebody do that? And the only reason you can think of is that somebody does that hoping that someone else will discover it and then be stunned. Uh, the point is that um, often the mathematics is so complex that that it nobody would actually sort of look for these kind of things. So only a few a few gearheads like myself uh, and some others mathematicians sort of go for this, and then they try to explain it to the general audience. And the general audience doesn't really care <laughs> what you're it, it, It's even hard to explain to them what you're doing and show that guy's crazy. So it is not really something to seek attention to the mainstream public. It, it's it is something else, and of course it could be done by humans just to you know to have a great joke but it's going to be a very private joke just between them and a few individuals in the world and interestingly i found that the the artists so the people that make crop circles as at once the ones the the ones that i spoke to are not at all interested in this i mean they make these patterns for the for their beauty and they make it from their from their hearts you know and, and their creativity and are not going to make uh, scientific design or mathematical design, also because often they lack the knowledge of mathematics to, to do this and, and they don't care about it at all. So um, it is very curious indeed. And quite honestly, I never found a real explanation for it. The only explanation that, that sort of makes sense is, and which some people give, is that they say this is a form of communication. And um, whomever makes them tries to sort of reveal knowledge or something they know in terms of other things that we also know, because clearly there's a huge language barrier between us. Which makes sense, you know, that, that is possible uh, indeed. Um, but on the other hand, there's all the highly, highly speculative, of course. But the fact is, yes, uh, this mathematics is in there. Sometimes it's incredibly complicated. I have found formations that looked like a random distribution of circles and and uh, and rings, but if you if you look at them, then it turns out that it's the only shape that fulfills all the criterion that has been published so far. So all those criterion in one formation, it's the only shape that obeys this, and then you get an, what looks like a random distribution of circles and and, and 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 rings, but it isn't. You know, it's like a like a one of kind thing. So yeah, that is quite an interesting and and intellectual approach. But on the other hand, like I said, you need a real, well, a real real fanatic to discover this. And at the same time, nobody seems to care about it.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember when I was doing my research for for this episode, um, going onto YouTube, because I found it quite interesting with the correlation between... um, uh, music and um the mathematics behind crop circles and listening to kind of you know musical translation of um of the crop circle i don't know melody or whatever you want to call it and um it sounds very bizarre kind of int- kind
1: of nice but also <laughs> very bizarre that's just on a personal well, note. I remember, yes. they, they actually transformed the patterns into 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 music between between um quotes um they they they, they made a transformer that that read a crop circle and produce a sound to it. And yes, I've heard that too. And It indeed sounded, yeah, well, interesting, fascinating. Yeah, there was something not um, random about it, without doubt, yes.
0: So I think you mentioned a very important thing, so that despite these inexplicable and very intriguing findings, there's, you know not a lot of interest amongst the general public in these formations, even though they do appear regularly, annually, and are just a consistent pattern on a global scale. So why why is that? And I'm asking because I have a background in, in archaeology and I'm very interested in kind of the material traces um, of um, as evidence of, of something that may have happened or may not have happened. So. Um, so, me, so to me, I never really, I, th- I think perhaps it goes back to what I said earlier that, you know, the tabloid press has been ridicul- ridiculing this, this phenomenon for quite a long time, unjustifiably. So but why, why do you think that there's such, you know, a lack of interest amongst the general public for this phenomenon?
1: Oh, that, that is an excellent question. And uh, actually, it relates to the fact that besides the, the mathematics and, and the physics and the biophysics about crop circles, there's also a very interesting uh, psychological aspect to it. I mean, you, you, you could write a thesis, a PhD thesis on the crop circle psychology. I'm, I'm convinced about that, that the behavior of people and the reaction of people is, is extremely interesting. And uh, as you pointed out correctly, I think one of the reasons is that, yes, there has been a very active debunking of mainstream media on the phenomenon they, they try to ridicule it very much they have done so for many many years and quite honestly i don't know what the reason was some people say the more like conspiracy thinkers that it has all been done on purpose and there's the government paying them and so on i don't know about that it could be you know but on the other hand i don't know um you can also imagine that people are just uncomfortable um, being being confronted with things they don't understand, and they prefer to sort of make up an explanation rather than than accepting the fact that they don't have an explanation. So that's what sort of drives these reporters to, at the end of the article, come up with a to them most plausible solution, which is the drunken farmers or the students and so on. Um, but yes, there has been a very active debunking campaign until today. And even until today, most crop circle stories that are written, if they're written, are always amongst the same lines, you know, the miracles and mm, mysteries and so on, and uh, biological anomalies. And at the end, there's always, oh, but it was Doug and Dave, and they did it. That sort of, And it's always the same structure, almost always. And it has happened to me as well. I mean, to, to quite extreme cases where... For example, I was doing uh, television interviews where people would ask me questions such as, is this a natural phenomenon? And I would say, well, it's too complex for that. And then they would ask me, do you think it's man-made? Can it be man-made? And I said, yes, of course. You no, know, it's very well possible. And then when it was broadcast, you heard the reporter ask the question, has this one been man-made? And they answered, no, it's too complex for that. So they deliberately sort of edited, <laughs> uh, you know, to make me look like a clown. Um, and, um, so yeah, there must, there must have very strong reasons to go so far. Um, and I think that is one of the reasons they, they did a very good job in, in misleading the, the, the grand general audience. Absolutely. And also because the general audience probably is not willing to really dive into this deeply because if they would sort of take some more time and, and really sort of try to separate the, the, yeah, many many stories from the few serious contributions. They would probably figure out themselves, but most people don't want to take the time for that, and, and they have other things to do. Clearly,
0: yeah, and I think that you know listeners of this podcast are well aware of that of that that problem because in um, UFO um, studies, um, it's it's we're very much facing the same issue. Even if only you know one percent of all sightings are. Um, scientifically interesting, um, that is still very significant, um, but amongst the general public and also due to um, you know being ridiculed by the tabloid press, the what is a really interesting phenomenon has been debunked for decades and kind of put outside of the realm of scientific inquiries, and that's that's a really unfortunate situation when researchers can't really. Um, Focus on a on a phenomenon out of you know fear of being um, ridiculed. That's uh, that's not a healthy situation. Um, have you also faced the same sort of um, um, criticism or um, lack of understanding from your colleagues in the uh, scientific community?
1: Um, interestingly, uh, well, yes and no. I mean, those in the scientific community who didn't know me, um, have been very, very harsh. I mean, I've, and even to the, to the, to the, to the personal point, you know, uh, many attacks, which were not even scientific, but just personal, um, particularly some skeptic groups, obviously, um, and they really do everything to, to burn you down. From, my, um, from from the context I have, um, personally, so the people interact with, not very much. No, not at all, I think. Um, I've given lectures to um, uh, to audience of radiologists, for example, during the conference, um, like a leisure lecture in the evening about crop circles, and those were all highly, highly educated people, cardiologists and PhDs in uh, medicine and, and uh, medical science, and, and they were very interested in, um, Actually, this book that you're holding in your hand has been uh, has been proofread by uh, by a famous American uh, radiologists uh, working in uh, Cleveland Clinic. So, um, I think once people take the time to to listen, um, they want to ridicule the phenomenon. But it's it, it's the lack of uh, of interest to actually sort of get a little bit more profound knowledge about it that makes people ridicule you, or another reason that I don't know, like like you know these these news reporters. That edited yeah. in my interview, for example, I didn't know what drove them.
0: Yeah, it's 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 just pretty bizarre. I mean, also the other guests I've had on the podcast so far, they, they are serious scientists. You know, often they suffer from a lack of funding, um, which is kind of an ideological problem because uh, or political problem because research into these more arcane but nevertheless interesting subjects obviously it doesn't get a lot of funding so but you know nevertheless their research methods are very rigorous and um, you know adhere to all scientific standards and nevertheless a lot of their colleagues almost have this ideological agenda of not wanting to hear about it and that's something i never really understood and um, you know i've read your scientific papers and um, they you know they're they're excellent, and also your book, even though it's aimed at a general um, audience, is excellent. It has references at ASO scientific standards, and so it's um, it's just one more brick in the wall of kind of you know this this issue that uh, other scientists are are on this um, ideological quest of not really wanting to hear about what could be potentially an interesting phenomenon. Um, speaking of your kind of scientific work and research into, into crop circles, perhaps you could focus a bit more on, um, on your series of, um, work articles on, um, the, uh, Hoven formation. I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly. Yes, that's
1: um, close enough. <laughs> Hoven. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, well, that was a very interesting, uh, one, yeah. um, because, um, there had been several accounts of eyewitnesses who, who, who claimed that they saw a crop circle appear. And um, the stories were all very similar. They talked about um, kind of a wind, um, uh, about uh, heat, and the crop circle forming in a matter of seconds only. Uh, and the latter actually makes perfect sense because there are many formations that are just too large to be made by, by people. Uh, just the amount of of work ju- only to flatten that area of crop would require like 100 man hours, and the formation appeared in within two or three hours. So, and there's no way 30 people could actually go into that field. So, um, and there had been several eyewitness reports, um, very similar, and this was another one. But the interesting thing here was that um, many of these eyewitness um, eyewitnesses um, mentioned the appearance of balls of light. So little sort of fairy lights, sort of flying over the field, while the crop circle was made. Um, but this particular person saw these lights where, where it was standing still. Most of the time, they're moving, and this time it was standing still. And that was the only account where the 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 the, the person said that there was an, a, a source of light, a little 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 lamp hanging above the field. It was hanging there. It was standing still, and in that that moment, the crop circle sort of appeared underneath. And he entered the formation and it was warm. He said he could still feel the air trembling with heat and the ground was warm, everything was warm. And the reason that it was interesting that this uh, uh, light was standing still was because um, it turned out that it left an imprint um, in, the, uh, in the stems of that particular circle. There was a phenomenon that's been known already that the 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 nodes in the stem so the little knuckles uh, increase in size inside crop circles and quite honestly i don't think that is really the case i think it's more that they shrink less when they dry but um in the end when you start measuring them it's the same thing so what you you have to sort of harvest or take samples you let them dry And then you measure the the length of these nodes uh, at various positions inside the crop circles. And it turns out that uh, uh, samples taken from within the flattened area, they have considerably longer nodes than uh, samples taken from outside the crop formation. So that's the control samples. And if I say considerably more, it's like two or three times longer. So It's not like a small small statistical difference. It's really very, very significant. Um, And in this particular case, the very interesting finding was that the the distribution of the of the thickness had exactly the same shape as the heat pattern from a, a, a radiation source that was standing still you now if you have for example a, a light bulb on the ceiling then you can see on the floor that the intensity of the light is not the same everywhere and it's most it's brightest right underneath the light bulb and then towards the edges of the room it, it gets less and that distribution is um, well, is very well known. You can calculate it uh, very accurately, and the exact distribution depends on the height of that lamp. You know, if you close it very, if you place it very close to the floor, then you have a very bright spot uh, right underneath, and it will fall off very quickly. And if the light is higher, if the ceiling is higher in the room, then it will be more uniform. But it will always have a sort of bell-like shape. So that means that from the shape of this. Um, uh, of this intensity curve if you want you can make an estimate of the height of that light source and that is what we did in this case so we found this perfect symmetry very interesting so in the center of the circle the nodes were i think about two or two and a half times larger than the controls and gradually fell off with perfect symmetry towards the edges and then i estimated the height of this light and if i remember well it was something like four meters 4 meters and 10 centimeters, I think. And interestingly, the eyewitness who was standing uh, 10 or 20 meters away from a circle said it was about that height. And he sort of indicated with his hands. And that very well corresponded to about 4 meters. It was not just, just above the circle, he said, or not even high up in the sky. It was actually where he pointed at. And that is very, very interesting because um, it it looks like these, um, this node length increase is caused by the radiation intensity of an electromagnetic point source, because the symmetry is exactly that. Um, that had been um, suggested by others as well, by other researchers, by, by William Levengood, amongst others, uh, quite earlier. But it was the first time we could make a quantitative analysis that, that perfectly correlated the distribution pattern of these nodes' length with the intensity pattern of a... Uh, a point source at a certain height above the, the ground which corresponded mm-hmm. to what this eyewitness said so um i think i published a paper i don't know yes I, I i had it published in um physiology of plantarum i think there was actually a paper about that that sort of explained this and and showed this and in my book actually i also showed it in quite some detail you see all the graphs there and for me that was very interesting because um first of all, you never find this massive node length increase in, in, um, in, in, the, in the control samples. And also, if you flatten the crop by hand, you know, you do get some effects uh, caused by gravitropism and some biological changes, but it's not in this amount. And it certainly doesn't have this, this symmetry. You know, it will just be the same everywhere. It will not have a symmetry uh, which is uh, corresponding with, this, with, with the imprint in the field. So I thought it was an incredible finding but of course, there are many others who say, well, this is just the wind, it's just the sun, it's just whatever, it's probably... Um, well, of course it isn't, but, well, you know, I was convinced, but in order to bring it forward, a couple of years later, we decided to reproduce that circle in the same field, in the same crop, uh, same dates, same everything, same sampling times, same protocol, um, and um, so we could compare. We had one circle that was made by... We don't know who and which was actually the one, the original one, and one circle made by us uh, with boards and ropes uh, at the same position, at the same place, same time, same season, same everything, and we did exactly the same, uh, the same analysis, and we found that, in, as expected, uh, no. I mean, we, we there was some node length increase, it was much less. There was no symmetry there; it was sort of a random shape. Um, and which is exactly what you would expect, right? So that's how we show that, no, it is not because there's shadows along the edges of sending crop. It's not because of the wind blowing differently over the Latin area and so on. There was no biological explanation for this symmetry and for this massive amount of node-length increase. And to me, it's a strong indicator that whatever they do to make these crop circles, it does involve heat. It does involve electromagnetic radiation. And Speculating, I think it has to do with the fact that if you if you heat the stems up, they're easier to flex, they're easier to bend. If you if you just press them down when they're cold, uh, they will snap and they will break. And if, if you heat them up, they will actually bend more easily because you know the cellular structure gets sort of soft. You know, we know it's the same way to build a violin. You know, they make this wood hot so that you can actually bend it, and then it will keep its its shape. And the same thing is what you see in these crop circles. So whatever they do. I'm pretty convinced it it involves heat. It involves electromagnetic radiation, and then some way with probably winds that flattens to the uh, formation. That that would have been my next question. How do that? Yeah, well, that next yeah. question. <laughs> Quite honestly,
0: I don't Be exactly to... because I found so so the EM radiation and the node length thing I find very fascinating. But one thing I never really understood is how or is, is that um causative for the bending already of the um of of the crops or is an additional force needed for that apart from the point source
1: of yes, the absolutely. there must be an additional for, for force that bends them afterwards and um, uh, this this heating is is i think only something to prepare them to make them uh, to make them weaker to sort of uh, loosen the molecular uh, or the, the cellular bonds between the between the cells so that they bend more easily and then by what eyewitnesses call wind they are actually they're actually made. And it is something that that all ey- eyewitnesses as far as I know mentioned they mentioned the heat they mentioned the wind um, and they also mention the balls of light. Uh, the interesting thing is that in, also in the other crop circles you find this this note length increase. But you don't find this very strong uh, uh, symmetry in the shapes because the, the the lights are moving. You can imagine if the lights are moving and they're sort of sort of heating up the field while they're moving, you get an arbitrary pattern of radiation distribution. When they're standing still, you keep this um, spherical symmetry, which in this one particular case we indeed we indeed found, and that's what makes this case so so interesting.
0: Mm. And. Um... Apart from the uh, node length increase, I believe you also did some very interesting research in um, the germination patterns uh, from, from these affected areas. Could you elaborate on that a bit?
1: Perhaps? Yes, that is actually something that was discovered by a biophysicist named William Levengood, an American mm. scientist. And, and his interest was particularly because he discovered that the, the, the seeds out of crop circles would germinate faster than sometimes much faster than the ones which were taken out of the standing crop. And that, of course, is very interesting because if you know why that happens, I mean, they, they were anomalously fast and they would germinate very, very rapidly. And that is something that all farmers want because if you if you throw your seeds on your field and the birds eat it, you know, it's, it's a waste of money. But if you can have something that makes them germinate faster, that is very, very interesting, even also from a commercial point of view. So I think that was what, what drove him initially to sort of see what happened. But then it turned out it was more complex than that. It turned out that um, if the crop formations uh, would uh, occur early in the season, so when the seeds were not ripe yet, the germination would be slower. And if they would occur when the uh, crop was ripe, almost the germination would be faster. So it was indeed some manipulation of the seeds, some something, some some well, something that that changed them. Uh, and depending on the maturity of the seeds, the effect would be different. And I've done the experiment a few times. Uh, in my case, and uh, not many times, like three or four times, I think. And in my case, I found consistently that they germinated much slower. So, uh, and indeed, I was early in the season. That was correct, but it was again a very, very clear effect, uh, statistically very, very um, reliable. Uh, you had the p-values and that stuff. All the scientific and statistical criteria were fulfilled. I mean, there's no doubt about it that this effect was very real. And all the um, all the seeds taken from the standing crop were just germinating with the speed that they were supposed to. And all the ones taken from outside the flattened circle were just going much, much slower in my case, or didn't germinate at all. So some damage had taken place um, to these seeds very clearly. And it was not mechanical damage because you could, that's what some people say. Clearly, if you step on on these seeds, you will crunch them and they will not germinate. That was not the case. I mean, these plants were completely untouched. They were bent over, yes, but the soil was untouched. Nobody walked there. There was no mechanical damage whatsoever. So that was not the explanation. It's something else. And it might very well be this radiation, whatever it is, that sort of changes the um, chemical composition of the seeds. That's very well possible guess an implication of all this which i didn't really think
0: about until i read your book is that we actually consume crops from crop circles <laughs> yep. which uh, yeah which uh, is an interesting thought i mean um, you have a nice little anecdote in your book where you say that uh, a mouse in your garage where you were storing mm-hmm. a wind, that, yeah. that the crops didn't actually touch it
1: and, yeah uh, that is another another thing which was absolutely mind-blowing i was flabbergasted when i saw that and, and you know the problem with these experiences is that um it happens to you and at that point of time it you are completely convinced to me there's n- you, you need no more proof you know i'm just for the for the listeners uh, i had taken crops circle um, samples and i labeled them all and i hang them up in my garage to um to to dry them and then I wanted to perform my, my germination experiments and I found that actually the seeds had been eaten by, by mice. But only the control seeds I and mean, the mice didn't touch any of the crop circle seeds. So there, there were like 50 bunches of 20 to 30 uh, stems with crops of big, you know, pile of straw and the mice perfectly identified in this huge pile of straw the ones that were tinged from the crop soil and the ones that were controlled. So that was remarkable. The problem is that if you tell this to somebody else to look at you and nod and say, yeah, right. you know, I mean, yeah, I could take pictures, but they say, well, that doesn't prove anything. It's just a picture of some, I mean, I could have labeled them afterwards. It's frustrating at times um, because if it happens to you, you know, you don't need, and you cannot have more evidence that something is going on. If you try to convince others, um, it's almost impossible because it's too weird to be true. Anyway, this is, um, yeah, it is... Uh, and it ruined my experiment, of course, because it didn't have anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that that's, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Um,
0: of all the um, scientific theories, explanations you've uh, come across and counted so far, which ones do you would give most credibility to? I mean, for instance, Terence his idea of plasma vortices, these whirlwinds creating crop circles. Do you think of all the... Uh, explanations that have been put out there one is more convincing than the other you already mentioned this uh physiological phenomenon of uh, gravitropism and so on um to your mind is anything convincing or do you think we need to go back to the drawing board and really rethink what uh, what is going on
1: yeah the, i think the the and the, median's the, 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 the explanations are um Plasma vortices. Yeah, I quite honestly, don't know exactly what it is. Um, it 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 explains some of it, but not everything. And I think that is the problem with most hypotheses. Um, there there are some elements that would make sense, but it doesn't tell the complete story. And, um, and and that is what's lacking at the moment. You know, one consistent theory that explains it all. And um, quite honestly, I've been into this for many many years now. And sometimes after feeding that. The more I think about it, the less I understand about it. It is really, really very, very complex. Um, so I, I don't have all the answers. Um, uh, some say it's, it's alien communication, or that's a very popular one. So it's, it's actually extraterrestrial intelligences trying to communicate with us, which of course is possible. You know, uh, yeah, well, I mean, you can't you can't say that it's impossible because, well, you know, it's. But at the same time. I wonder if there are clear indications that that would be the case. Um, personally, I don't think, you know, I, I think if there there's alien civilizations out there. They they have other things to do to communicate with us. That's my, my personal instinctive feeling. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's what if, and even if they would, then then they would probably know a smarter way to do it. Uh, and, or, and if they wouldn't, they wouldn't bother to communicate with us. So, But yeah, I mean, by all means, it is a possibility, but, that's also the end of the discussion because it's highly speculative, of course.
0: Exactly. Um, but looking at the phenomenon as it presents itself from a scientific point of view, I always have the impression that um, whatever intelligence is accountable for for crop circles isn't too bothered what humans think about it because they do it, you know, in an almost clandestine way. You can only really appreciate the complexity from literally a bird's eye perspective in many cases. And, um, as, and as I said, it often happens in a hidden manner. And it kind of reminds me of the uh, Hessdalen lights in, in Norway, where you also have these um, lights flying around in the sky. And I have been observed, scientifically studied. I had, um, um, I had a research on the podcast talking about this. But, you know, there's... <laughs> There's no indication that it has anything to do with extraterrestrials, or that they are particularly bothered about what humankind thinks or does about it. So I, I find that oh,
1: well, I'm, you know, I'm just... I completely with you there. I mean, yeah. I've compared it to, to to ants, for example. If, if you are <clears throat> working in your garden and you're pulling weeds or whatever, there are ants walking around there, and um, you're not going to communicate to those. You know, you're they're there, but you're not going to try to manifest yourself to those ants. You know, and and, and say, hey. Uh, and, and those ants might have discussions between them, them uh, saying that, well, you know, I've seen a human. No, you're crazy. And humans don't exist. Yeah, they're huge. They walk on two legs. Come on, everybody walks on six legs. You know, and, and you've got the same thing. Um, uh, and then they say, well, if humans exist, why don't they reveal themselves to us? Well, <laughs> because we don't care. You know, we have to pull weeds from a garden. We're not going to try to reveal us to ants. So I think if it's indeed extraterrestrials, it, it's likely there's it something similar to that. Um, it's it's you know, we are very anthropos- anthropocentric, of course. You know, the humans think that they're the single biggest thing in the universe, but clearly we're not.
0: Yeah, and I think we're kind of delving into a very interesting um, question topic now, which is the meaning of all of it, really. And um, you know, bearing in mind the scientific findings and that we are pointing towards that towards something that's incredibly complex we can't really account for i think that's one situation we just have to write down for now as it is but um you know part of the human condition is wanting to make sense of all of this and my personal impression is that this can only be done on a very kind of personal level you have a very fascinating chapter in your book where you Um, adopt the perspective of um, different people you've encountered or rather report um, their impression of um, what crop circles may be and stand for so this is kind of to bring it back to you because you've been in these formations Um, with what kind of feeling do they leave you this is just a very you know on a very subjective level have you experienced any sort of feeling that you would only get in crop circles because you've been doing this for a very long time and I suspect that it's not just, you know, the uh, kind of scientific uh, conundrum that's behind it, but that's also on a personal level that, you know, you have to really figure out what the meaning is and that leaves you with certain experiential qualities that no other, you know, thing probably has. So,
1: Um, Yeah, well, first of all, I'm I'm a very... um... Western male um unsensitive scientific person so I'm I'm not uh, very much into anything that is that is spiritual I mean to certain points is I'm really entering this thing like an engineer and a scientist so and I have not had real if you would like to call them paranormal experiences as far as I can remember um, it is true though that when you enter these formations, it is very impressive, very beautiful. <clears throat> I mean, it it, it impresses you. you. It sort of keeps you. It makes you shut up for a minute. You know, uh, particularly with the better ones. And um, uh, so, yeah, it is, it's 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 nice. Entering a crop circle is a nice experience. It's it, it's a, it's a piece of beauty, most of the times. Um, and if they're not like this potato circle and other circles and carrot fields and so on, then maybe they're not beautiful, but they have this other things that are so curious that they they also make you shut up for a few minutes because you're down So, yeah, it it, it does impress you. It does impress. They do impress me most of the time. Um, Having said that, I do know many people that have experienced all the strangest feelings and so on, people getting acute headaches, um, people getting sick and so on. Um, which was very real at the other hand, you can say, well, that is just, um, uh, you know, um, sort of, um, um, between the ears, you know, uh, so they're sort of fooling themselves and that doesn't make it a less real experience to them, but it is kind of, um, not caused by the circle, but more by the psych- by the personal psychology. On the other hand, I've also we'll seen animals, dogs getting sick inside crop circles and and that is a different story i don't think a dog would understand the you know the complexity of so um yeah it seems that there are indeed effects in these circles that or or, or um something going on the circle that that affect people on an emotional or spiritual or psychological or even physical level but personally i haven't experienced that as as much but um again yeah, sometimes I was really impressed by seeing these things. And what particularly impresses you is that um, the flatness of, of the formations. I mean, there's no way. Let's put it this way: I've never been able, I've never seen anyone flatten a crop formation as flat, as perfectly flat as I've seen them. And what I mean is that if you if you if you lie down on on, on the ground and you you look over them, you're just from from one or two inches above the soil. You see, there's not a single. Stem sticking out it's it's like it's been it's been cut into the into into the it's amazing you know and and that is really something that 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 impressed me uh, several times yeah
0: have you been over the years approached by many people who think they know what crop circles are all about i'm speaking of people who are kind of spiritually inclined and have their own certain theories of what they might
1: be and not or oh yes absolutely oh yeah many of them uh, there are many people who've told me what they are, and um, and they're they're convinced, and good for them. Because, but uh, they haven't convinced me. I mean, it's the classical theories like aliens, of course, you know, extraterrestrials preparing us for uh, the return to Earth. It's the gods. It's Mother Gaia, the Earth itself. It's uh, it's our common awareness that sort of um, telekinetically creates these shapes um, on Earth. Um, it's pranksters clearly you know um, the, it's the farmers they want to have money those are the more more basic explanations but yeah there are many people knowing that it's um the earth people or the sky people or the fire the fire creatures uh, or the demons or the angels and yeah the, many people are convinced to you know what it is but um and maybe they're right you know i'm, I'm not i'm not telling they're wrong but um well they haven't convinced me so far but that's also probably because i'm a scientist and i want some very consistent and simple story that explains it and i found the consistency so far uh, well, I, I can make a consistent story which is not simple or a simple story which is not consistent and i haven't found <laughs> something that that combines both yet but um we'll keep trying indeed what is interesting though, i'm just looking
0: at chapter one of your book and this, this very um interesting figure of the mowing devil from 1687 so um you know a crop circle from the 17th century um where this artist has also tried to make sense of or attribute meaning as to what was going on and um here literally the devil showing quite um uh quite quite nicely doing this creating this crop circle so i think this this um and we haven't really talked about this today about um, it's also a historical phenomenon and this idea, um, you know, or this phenomenon of ascribing meaning to crop circles. It's just something humans have always done, I suppose. Um, I think crop circle research only really took off um, in the 1970s and and 80s, but it's a much more historically um, um, saturated.
1: The Boeing um, Dell actually is extremely interesting. Um, and that's a story that, um, that later has been debunked again by the, by the tabloid press many, many times with all kinds of, in my opinion, silly arguments. The silliest of them is that uh, in the text somewhere it said that the, the crop had been cut by the devil. And then the argument is, well, it, it is not cut, it is flattened. So it was not the crop fault. Well, that's not the point. The, the, the thing is that most people that see crop circles today, see pictures of crop circles today, think it's cut still and they see the picture oh the crop has been cut that's what they think and um so i what happened back then and i'm convinced of that is that these people saw this thing they also thought it was cut because that's what everybody still thinks today and they didn't check i mean if they think it's work about the devil they're not going to enter that thing you know they, they will run away they'll scared. i mean this is like 1678 i mean they're they're not going to the devil was something that well, was a big problem in those days to them so they i'm sure they didn't enter it they didn't check it out they wrote it first maybe later they did but the interesting thing about the Mong devil is that if you look at that picture and um, you see these you see two things you see the perfect flattening that this artist tried to to indicate this perfect flattening of this this perfectly aligned all these stems are exactly the same distances so this neatness this perfectness he tried to sort of draw and also the spiraling pattern, and those are the two first things that strike you even today when you see a crop circle and you enter that. There's two things that say, "Wow, it's perfectly flattened as if it was combed," and it's 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 in this nice spiraling, spiraling pattern. And those are the two things that this artist clearly was was trying to express, and that convinces me with close to 100 percent that this was indeed uh, the same thing that we're seeing today.
0: Yeah, I mean, it looks uncannily similar. And, um, you know, granted that there's always a bit of artistic freedom, I think that's probably as yeah, close it, as you get. It as he as well. translates
1: the impression yeah. that yeah. You get today. I mean, it, it's exactly. very clear that this guy who drew that saw it. Yeah. It's not that like he wasn't telling something that somebody else told. He saw it himself and he drew it there. And this is exactly what, like you said, what what do you think, what do you feel when you enter the crop formation? It's exactly what is seen in this, in this this in this picture. The yeah. book flattening, the neatness, um, and, uh, and the spiraling pattern. Yeah.
0: Great, Elcho. Um, before we um, end this episode, um, I just wanted to um, kind of briefly perhaps ask you to talk a bit about your latest research um, because I think you were kind enough to forward it to me, um, namely uh, Einstein's relativity theory and how you can um, – in fact, if I understood correctly, make it uh, more simpler through applying Newtonian physics. Um, this isn't really um, probably the right podcast for it, but um, I think it's. I mean, I think it's really so fascinating. I mean, not understanding all the mathematics, obviously, but um, it did it did quite interest me because it always it also. Uh, points to Plato's um, original idea of the shadow on the wall and that reality might be actually, or most certainly is more complex than we are able to fathom. So if you could perhaps um, talk a bit about that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and actually it, it does link in a little bit to to both crop circles as well as UFOs, I think. Um, there are some connections. I've that this theory um, uh, creates a bridge between between. um Contemporary physics and UFOs and/or crop circles, so it's it's not completely out of the uh, out of the stream of this uh, this discussion. And the <clears throat> um, well, that, how do I tell this in, in not too many words? So the point is that um, the the motion of objects, so things moving around us, and I'm talking about horses and cars and, and falling rocks and and apples falling from trees, is something that has been under study for forever. By, by people, and even the ancient Greek had their own physical models of, of how um, things were moving and, and how mechanisms work. And they were actually pretty good at it. You know, the ancient Greek thousands of years ago could already, already make um, uh, like a gearbox, which allowed them to pull a ship on, uh, on, on the beach by just one guy, because they had a mechanism of many, um, many, many gear wheels, which sort of would increase the force of one single person. So they, they were actually pretty good at it. At the same time, they made many mistakes in the theory as well. And it wasn't until sixteen, in the seventeenth century, when Sir Isaac Newton first really established the modern um, classical mechanics, as we call it, which is the physics that describes the motion of objects. And um, so that was quite an accomplishment because it was thousands of years after we already thought we knew how it worked. But, uh, so it was the seventeenth century, and. That's a theory that we still learn in in school today. So that's about um, a a car accelerating and uh, the the distance traveled by a car at a certain velocity after a certain time and those kinds of things. And we use that also to launch a rocket and to send a rocket to Mars even. So it's still very, very valid. Um, However, (coughs) somewhere at the end of the 19th century, uh, some experiments were performed where they discovered that the Siri doesn't always work, and it doesn't work when the velocities get very high, and it doesn't work for the speed of light. Uh, the speed of light is very, very strange. Usually the velocity of something, the speed of something depends on your own speed as well, because if you are standing still, then a car that approaches you at 50 miles an hour um, doesn't approach you as fast as in the case where you are also approaching that car at 50 miles an hour, because then it approaches you at 100 miles an hour, right? So and that last th- th- uh, thing is something that does not apply to the speed of light. They found that the speed of light is always the same regardless of your own motion. And that is something that is very curious if you think about it. And that sort of, it cannot be explained with the uh, classical mechanics. So that is what when Einstein came aboard. And Einstein then created this sphere theory of relativity. <clears throat> That's an alternative theory that also describes the motion of objects. But in case the velocities get very high. So currently, in the scientific consensus, we have two different models. One is the classical mechanics. That's for describing motion of objects when they're going slowly. And if they're going very fast, approaching the speed of light, so you need that in particle accelerators and in astronomy sometimes, you can use another theory, which is Einstein's theory of relativity. And then you get all kinds of strange things happening. You get these things that you probably know about. that Time is slowing down when you're going fast, and the dimensions of objects change when you're going fast and so on it's 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 fascinating um now I've always had problems with the theory of relativity because the first time when he told me about it was like 16 and I said no no way you know that's impossible that's what everybody would say by the way but uh, I sort of insisted even after many years it it didn't feel I don't know I, I always had something with it and the the paper I published um, a couple of months ago, actually uh, I think it's very interesting because what it shows you is that, uh, what it suggests, to put it this way, is that our universe, our world that we're seeing is a four dimensional universe. <clears throat> so we have four spatial dimensions. And if you look at Einstein's of relativity, there are also the four dimensions, but that is like up, down, left, right, and forward, backwards, plus time. So the fourth dimension is time. And in my model it's it's four spatial dimensions it's it's you, you could measure the length in each four of them so it's left right up down forward backwards and then that's a fourth one which we cannot imagine because we cannot imagine a four-dimensional space but but we only see three dimensions but that doesn't mean the fourth one isn't there so why would i assume that well i assume that because it turns out if you create this four-dimensional space mathematically I mean you cannot imagine it but you can calculate in it you know we can adapt to mathematics so we make a four-dimensional space with 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 four spatial dimensions and we apply the newtonian mechanics so the 17th century mechanics to that four-dimensional space and then we calculate the projection so we only take three dimensions out of this four and we only look at those three and those three make up a three-dimensional space which is something that we can see we see around us it turns out that, that projection behaves exactly like this theory of relativity of Einstein predicts. So the the, the time dilation, the time going slower, objects the changing shape, uh, all those kinds of things can be explained with 17th century mechanics if you assume that the actual universe is four-dimensional <clears throat> and we only see like a three-dimensional shadow of it. And the interesting thing is that it makes relativity much simpler because it turns out it's just... Newton's first law, Newton's second law, F equals M times A, that kind of stuff that we all learn in secondary school. Uh, Except we're looking at the shadow of the four-dimensional reality in our three-dimensional perception. Um, So the three becomes much simpler. um, And in addition, it also eliminates a couple of inconsistencies that there are, in my opinion, in contemporary physics. We don't need two different models with certain rules and certain exceptions. You just have one model which is a 17th century uh, physics it eliminates all the inconsistencies and it generates exactly the same formulas that you can derive from the uh, theory of relativity except it only takes you two lines of algebra rather than four pages so it's much simpler much more consistent i think much more elegant and uh, it gives you the same results and and that is very interesting if there's a four-dimensional universe and we are only in the three-dimensional shadow of that, it means there must be three other three-dimensional universes. I mean, we're living in the XYZ, if you want, but there are four dimensions, XYZ and let's call it W. And we live in the XYZ dimension, but it means there's also an XYW dimension and an an XZW and a YZW dimension. So those are those other three-dimensional spaces, which are sort of parallel to ours, if you want, and they're also even uh, touching our, our own world, but we, we can't see it. And one of the things that always puzzled me very much in the crop circles and also the UFOs is that these balls of light that contain a lot of energy, enough to heat up an entire crop field, or a UFO, which you can see, which is there, and then it just disappears into nothing. Where does it go to? Well, if it would go into the WYZ dimension, you no, know, yes, that it would still be there, but I couldn't see it anymore. Uh, and the same appears to the balls of light. So, you know, sometimes I speculate that that maybe that is why these UFOs are hiding or are going to when they seem to disappear from ours, but they're just going into another shadow, if you know what I mean. They're actually sort of um, making the jump from one three-dimensional shadow to another one in our four-dimensional universe. And somehow they have the technology to do that, and we don't. So... Um, this theory not only makes everything much simpler, it also sort of opens up uh, a gateway to give kind of a scientific explanation to, to what we see when UFOs disappear or when balls of light appear and disappear.
0: Yeah, uh, thank, thanks for elaborating on this. It's um, definitely very, very interesting and kind of brings us full circle back to um, what many eyewitnesses have also reported with credible um, UFO sightings that they kind of seem to phase out, jump in to our reality, and uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting model to to um perhaps think about these these sorts of phenomena. And what I also find interesting and in, you know relating to crop circle research, the uh your model here uh presupposes a kind of um geometric reality if understood correctly and obviously crop circles are inherently uh geometrically meaningful so kind of also to me at least Interesting, yeah, that is the case. Yeah,
1: and actually, the most fascinating thing, personally, I think, is that, and you already mentioned, that Plato, I don't know, three thousand years ago, something already already said this. He he, he, he actually suggested that the the world we see around us is, is a shadow uh, of a more complicated world, and he compared it to the shadow on the uh, on the wall of uh, of a cave where the people that were inside, they were chained inside that cave to, you know, and they could only see the shadow of the outside world. So they said, he said to them, the world is a two-dimensional black and white scene, whereas we know it's a three-dimensional and in color. And he said, but what we see, three-dimensional and in color, is actually also only a shadow of a much more complicated universe. And that is exactly what, what my theory is about. And, and I, I knew about this a long time ago, and it has fascinated, has always fascinated me very much. And it was also the inspiration to get to this theory. And now i really p- puzzled, how did Plato know? Because he was spot on, in my opinion. So did somebody tell him? Did some alien maybe talk to Plato? And I mean, how, how could you figure it out? It's amazing. But this has been like 3,000 years ago. Yeah. That's yeah. what fascinates me most right now.
0: I because think that's... I mean, there's no better way to close an episode than with a discussion of Plato. So that's a ec- absolutely excellent. I wish that could be uh, the case for every episode. Well, thanks so much, Elcho. It's been a, a real pleasure talking about crop circles, yeah. physics, yeah. and uh, very, very, very intriguing. Um, for our audience, where can they find your work Um relating to crop circles, but also all the other endeavors you might be up to? Do you have online resources? Where can people find you?
1: Um, there is one uh, website which is called um, uh, uh, simplerelativity.info. And that is where I am um, currently publishing my my latest, uh, we call the simple theory of relativity work. Um, currently, I don't have a crop circle website anymore. My books are, most of them, I think, are out of print. They have been, my, my latest book has been translated into five languages. But you can still find them um, in secondhand books. So they're still available, but um, not fresh from the from the press anymore. Um, I am considering uh, writing an update. So um the people are really interested, just um, I would recommend them to stay tuned. Because there are some new things, some new developments. And uh, like you said, my latest book has been out there for quite a while. And I think it merits a little update with some uh, adjournments and so on. Um, and if that's the case, I will definitely put it on the internet in such a way that everybody who wants to find it will find it immediately.
0: Cool. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Elcho. And I'll make sure to link your book and also the website in the in the blurb of the podcast. Thanks, and hopefully have you again uh, on again soon.
1: Thank right, you great pleasure. Thank you. you very bye, much. bye bye. bye. bye.